America, my name is Irony Osei Frimpong, and I would come to you every Friday around this time to talk about politics. And I try to make it local politics, but local politics in a way that makes sense everywhere you are in these United States, because I suspect that if you are black or surrounded by black people, um, <laughs> that means outside of that, outside of your neighborhood are white people with more money who might be predating the predators on your wealth and labor. So, and we need a politics that addresses that. So the quality of local politics I give is uh, not just meant for Athens, Georgia, although the, the show is called The Black Athenians. It's for any place. There are black communities surrounded by wealthier, more like rapacious white communities. And that's a lot of places, including, you know, Mobile, Alabama, and Columbia, South Carolina, Jackson, Mississippi, Birmingham, uh, Richmond, Virginia. Uh, anywhere there's black poverty surrounded by white relative wealth, this is the politics for you. So, and I want to talk a little bit about political machinery. Last week I talked about political machinery in terms of how we need to hold Congress people accountable because there really isn't a system for that right now. So these Congress people keep getting reelected and reelected and reelected. And there is actually no way you need a crowbar to like pry them from office. And so we could go with term limits, but term limits really one term limits, the lobbyists stay and, and the, and the, and the congressmen go, and that's not particularly good. And also it removes the, um, the power away from the electorate. And I don't like that. So the problem is you want to institute a government of the people, but then becomes a faction of the people that then is set against the electorate <laughs> that like sustains itself up here, a ruling faction that is then like separated from and have its, has its own interests relative to the electorate. So you need a government of the people. And this has been a problem since the beginning of the nation. They didn't identify it at the beginning of the nation because at the beginning of the nation, they didn't care. But now we kind of are a little bit more self-conscious about it where the only people who can actually run and win office are either landed gentry that means people who are, you know, they come from money or have family money and land or independent professionals like lawyers, people who could just close up shop and then like serve in office. Um, you know, especially with these weird legislative schedules, right? So we need to think about what it would mean for everyday people to become in the office. This is one reason why I'm a big fan of Cori Bush. The woman who just won out of uh, uh, St. Louis, and because I think she identifies herself as like you know a working class black woman, and she takes the working class bit seriously. So there's a lot of not, not a lot of nonsense you get out of honestly the people who identify themselves as women first. <laughs> you identify yourself as a woman first. Uh, there's no need for you to be particularly pro black community. Um, there's nothing about women's politics as women first that has been pro-black in the United States. Like, suffragettes, <laughs> the only use they had for black women was like using them to keep black men from voting. <laughs> the second wave feminists didn't really just care about poor people. Um, and now, yeah, so anyone who identifies themselves, any woman who identifies themselves as a woman first, is going to be a problem for our politics. Or anybody who draws their politics out of their identity and then identifies themselves as a woman first is, is, is not really going to be great.
But you can be a working class black woman and be fine. A-okay. I support working class black women. More black women. Um, so as long as Cori Bush, and I think she gets it in a, in a real way, understands that like being a working class black woman means that you're working pro-working class, pro-black, and then the leftover stuff after you like fix what's wrong with how we treat uh, you know, people who are poor and work for a living and then how we treat black people. The leftover gender problems, we can fix those too. I think they will look markedly different than what uh, the, the CIA agent Gloria Steinem would think they look like. So uh, I'm a fan of Cori Bush. Hope she hangs out more with Rashida Tlaib and Ilan Omar than Ayanna Presley. I'm a little, I don't really trust Ayanna Presley. I'll tell you I have reasons. But uh, I, I, so far, I think Cori Bush kind of gets it. So, yay, Cori Bush. So why aren't there more people like Cori Bush in Congress, right? She's just a regular person. Uh, you know, she's a nurse. My mom's a nurse. That's, that's, a, that's a good job. But, yeah, she's, she's a nurse. And um, we're going to talk about that. We'll talk about that after the opening. Let me hit the beat. To the beat, y'all. <laughs> So, why don't we have more working class people in Congress? It's hard to run for Congress, right? So, how do I explain this? Why don't, well, think about it in the chat. You can talk. Why don't you run for Congress? It's expensive. You have to quit your job. If you quit your job, how are you going to pay for all your bills? Um, you're probably going to lose, which is fine, but it's in a very expensive gambit to lose um, just to get your ideas out. And, you know, I have good ideas, so maybe I'll run for Congress just to get the ideas out. But um, the, if you run in a safe Democratic district, they, you're running against a legacy or you're running against a party that has a vested interest in keeping you down, especially if you care about working class or poor black people. Because the Democrats, the company Democrats are scared that talking about working class or poor black people is going to scare away all the white people they really care about and who fund the party, right? So uh, they don't make it easy to run if you're just a regular working class person. So here's the deal. You need, in order to run, you need to be able to quit your job. Who can do that? Who can do that? The idle, well, the idle rich and independent professionals like lawyers who can just kind of close up their shop. Um, so just being an employee, which is 90% of the workforce are employees. They work for somebody already is a, is a, is a barrier to entry. So uh, we need to talk about some sort of job guarantee once you lose, because the odds are you're going to lose, but you should still be able to run if like government's supposed to be about not just other people making the laws, but some sort of self, self, um, self-government, right? Uh, in a modern campaign, for a modern congressional campaign, you need institutional support, which means that, uh, like, it takes professionals, right? So you need to have one or two professionals who are going to help you out, who are pretty much dedicated to help you out. All of those squad members, a lot of them had, like, professional backing they had <laughs> they had the uh the um what's it the backing of people who of of legacy kids 
I said legacy kids are in their twenties, you know, the white left and who didn't have anything else to do except help them on their campaign. Right. So you need an infrastructure that costs money, right? So it helps to have wealthy people with money. I know that the DCCC, the, the company Democrats congressional campaign, the first thing they do when you tell them that you're running for Congress is they say like, all right, who are the friends and family you can hit up for lots and lots of money. And it's a little bit gross, but that's how they do it. They, I mean, Nancy Pelosi got her job by being the, the richest woman everyone knew who had extra time. I don't even know if it's possible that Nancy Pelosi has never actually had a job, like a job where you have to interview and uh, write a cover letter. It's possible she's never actually had to do that. So what does that mean? Um, well, it means that she might not actually concern herself with the working class plight of her people. If there are working class people still in San Francisco, well, the black ones got left out. Maybe they have some, um, you know, Guatemalans or something. So, uh, you need to be able to quit your job in order to run. You need to be able to still sustain yourself in order to run. You need to, it would be nice if you came from money in order to run and you need extra people like provisioning services for you, right? Either you could pay them or get them to volunteer to, uh, you know, build you an infrastructure for the website and campaign donations. And, uh, that's just not, and that's not even getting your name out. That's just stuff. If people know who you are so that they can find you, then there's a the process of getting your name out, which is a press problem especially in the rural South and the black South where there are, there is no real infrastructure. I mean, look, I'm in Georgia right now and uh, I'm in the 10th district in Georgia. So the 10th district is enormous. It's got a ton of counties and really the black parts of these counties, they might as well be talking on talking drums to each other, like in Africa, like there is no communication infrastructure. So forget on getting on, you're not going to get on the radio in the real radio, because those are all white-owned, uh, except for, like, one station that, uh, what's his name, Michael Thurman owns um, in Athens. But you're not going to get on the real radio. You're not going, NPR's not, if you're talking about black stuff for real, for real, NPR's not going to want to touch you, because, uh, you know, you make, you make those, those, those cats nervous. So you, you have, you'd probably have a better shot. Like, I've been on the Fox radio affiliate here a few times, I've uh, somehow every time I'm supposed to go on NPR, I get canceled. Usually I think someone ends up talking to some white lady donor and the white lady donor freaks out because I'm not a big feminist. And then I get an email saying like, well, you know, we, we have to go a different way with the segment we were planning with you. So there is that. So getting your name out is going to be a problem. Getting a name out is going to be a problem. That leads to incumbency advantage because you can't actually convince people to pick you as opposed to the person they've always picked if nobody knows who you are, right? And this is what I suggested last week with respect to Nancy Pelosi. Now, people say that, uh, well, you know, maybe, uh, maybe you can just kind of hustle. Well, I mean, in rural districts, that, that hustle, there are, I mean, in COVID, it's almost almost even more dicey because you can't knock on doors without people being very suspicious of you. Um, but uh, talking about large gatherings where you can talk to people, churches where you can talk to people, all of those networks are already taken up. And you're not going to win a campaign on Zoom alone. Anybody who says you are is 
just scared of work. It's scared of actually meeting people. You're not going to win a uh, campaign on Zoom alone. You win a campaign on word of mouth and getting in people's faces. And you can't get in people's faces with in the middle of a plague. And word of mouth comes through media outlets, which are going to be, you know, a little bit skittish because if they go with you, they might lose their access to the incumbent. And the incumbent is the one who... Um, and the incumbent is the one who pays. <laughs> so, and, and yeah, the incumbent is the one who pays and the incumbent is the one with connections. So they don't want to give you earned media. Um, so you have to make yourself a bit of a spectacle. You have to make yourself a bit of a spectacle. Even the, you know, the hip left groups, I mean, they're going to be scared of black people, the justice Democrats and all of that. They, they'll be scared of black men. Maybe black women, you can kind of maybe sneak by as long as you don't, you're not too threatening. But, you know, it's run, it's run by it's run by people with money. So people with money aren't really going to be about justice uh, for black black people, black communities, and especially black men, just because when it comes down to it, you're gonna, you have to talk about reparations, you have to talk about federal job guarantee, you have to, and you have to talk about these things first, right? So if you're running an actual campaign that's good for the people, that clarifies the fight, then you're gonna scare away a lot of the money. Black institutions are going to be scared about you in the same way they were scared about Martin Luther King. Listen, don't let people tell you stories about the way black institutions treated Martin Luther King that just aren't true. They were scared of that Negro. Even Daddy King, his own father was like, you know, you're going to get yourself killed and all of these other people killed. And so Martin Luther King, there's a reason why the civil rights leaders, some of them, like, were still kind of alive <laughs> because they were very young because nobody over 25 wanted to do with anything with these troublesome Negroes. They're like, that's... <laughs> like, nobody, nobody who's over, you know, a certain age wanted to, uh, to risk it, drawing all that fire, drawing the evil eye of, of, of the clanocracy um, onto them, right? So this idea that black institutions are going to ce um, celebrate and uphold like revolutionary black politics, that's, that just might not be true. That might, that might not be true. So you can start small, and they say start small, as in start in local office. And I think that's a good move just because I think there's a lot of unharnessed power in, in uh, not necessarily county commissions, but in school boards. If you can get a critical mass, if I can get, two, if I can get myself and two people or two people that I kind of can, can talk to on a school board and we change curriculum and teacher training, I actually think that could be a cultural intervention that the students need. But don't expect black institutions to help you because they're scared. And like anytime you have a black institution that's still standing, you don't have to go too far to find people who are a little bit scared of alienating white money. Right. And you're going to have to go through white liberals if you're going to do this well, which means um, you're going to scare off a, white, a lot of white liberals. And if, you, and if you don't have the stomach to scare off white liberals, then you don't really have a stomach to, to, to actually legislate in a way or even advocate in a way or fight in a way that's actually going to mean anything for black people in the long or the short term. Right. So there are all these barriers. You're probably going to lose, you know, Warnock, 
I, I, I make fun of Warnock a lot because he's an easy guy to make fun of because he doesn't really believe anything. And I'm pretty sure that Stacey Abrams like has to green light everything that Raphael Warnock says. Well, he's a nice guy or whatever. Uh, he's running on a campaign that's, that's about nothing or that's about not enough considering that Georgia is what, like a third black, 31, 32% and <laughs> like 65% of the homeless population and just uh, like a uh, like standing degradation, uh, even in Atlanta, where they call like where people will tell you it's Black Megra, Mecca, Atlanta itself is uh, like standing degradation for Black people, and uh, in the rural Georgia is, is not better; it's it's actually worse. Um, so yeah, there's not a lot of uh, not a lot of support for equality of black politics that we need. And anyone who's going to advocate for equality of black politics that we need is going to have to fight both um, black institutions who have their identity around being cynical about the prospect of politics working and white liberals who are very self-satisfied in their mediocrity and their standing kind of commitment to racial injustice. Right, so how do you fix this? How do you fix this? One, we have to start talking about communications infrastructure as a matter of democracy. You get enough signature or you pay whatever it takes to be on the ballot. You need to have some guaranteed TV time. Like guaranteed TV time. As a part of like a matter of the FCC. You, part of what it is to get on the ballot is to have TV and radio time that's dedicated to you and not at the, the whim of the market. So for you to make your case, I think there, should, there needs to be debates. Uh, mandatory. Mandatory and televised and searchable on YouTube or whatever, but mandatory debates and publicized debates. Um, and we need to get serious about building the media infrastructure for democracy because Short of a media infrastructure, the media is what mediates. It's what between me and the people, right? So short of this media infrastructure, you're just depending on magic or the party apparatus will just pick someone who's good for the party apparatus. You have a de facto communist state um, where it's all about the party and not about the people. And that's not good. I want it to be about the people, which means that the media has to do its job in kind of mediating the relationship between the candidates and the people. Right, so you need some either uh, public access or or a guaranteed dedicated slotted media time. We need a political culture that's adequate to democracy for people to run and have a fighting chance. Right, and then for those people, oh, I was talking about Warnock. All right, so what's funny about Warnock is apparently, like he filed a candidacy, and then like ten minutes later he files for divorce, or his wife divorced him. Because it's stressful on the families. Like nobody wants to be with a loser. And you're probably going to lose if you run for one of these races. So it's stressful for the family. So we need some sort of either understanding of that or maybe a UBI for candidates. I mean, not a UBI, but a universal basic income. But some sort of candidate stipend where if you qualify, there's some sort of security both after and during the election so that your spouse doesn't leave you. Because, you know, I, I mean, this happened to Obama. Nobody knows. In 2000, when Obama ran against Bobby Rush, the ex-Black Panther, who's now <laughs> not that, uh, when Obama ran against Bobby Rush, Michelle Obama, and he lost, Michelle Obama filed papers against him. 
or, or drew up papers, didn't actually file them, but she drew up them because she didn't want to be with a loser. She went to Harvard. She went to Princeton. She didn't want to be with some pretty boy loser. She wanted to be with a president. Um, so Michelle Obama filed those papers. I mean, not filed those papers, drew up those papers. Uh, but then he won and like, I guess, you know, she likes being a multi, multi, multi generational dynastic millionaire. So I guess it was a good bet to stay with Barack. Um, but it's hell on the family. You're probably going to lose. You're, you're going to lose by outing your actual political opinion. So you might actually be toxic on the job market too. Like the only kind of people who can win a, win a race, like run a race run a race that's good for black people and then like walk into a job afterwards are people who want running a race for like that's good for black people. People like, uh, you know, what's that cat out of Massachusetts who ran for president for a minute who worked in private equity. I can't believe my memory is going like this. I can't think of his name. Deval Patrick. Of, yeah, like Deval Patrick can lose and get a job afterwards because, or Pete Buttigieg can lose and get a job afterwards or, uh, you know, some hack can lose and get a job afterwards because they'll run in a way that is pretty much a job interview for anyone who wants to manage black people. Because, you know, one of the best jobs in America is, as a black person is managing other black people away from their justice claim. And that's, that's a sad fact, but you can get a good job in America if you, if you show yourself on a broad stage to be the kind of Negro who's going to herd other Negroes away from their justice claim. <laughs> and, but if you're actually clarifying the fight in the right way, yeah, that's not the kind of Negro who gets a job afterwards. All right. Oh, and by the way, think about that. Depending on who you talk to, talking like this makes me down white unemployable. So I need you to go to www.funkyacademic.com and kick in $5.15 or $50 a month. I like the monthlies because they allow me to budget. And, you know, I got three kids. Three kids. Um, so, you know, please. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, I'm, I'm good at the parenting thing. So I, I, I spend a lot of money and time and energy on these kids. Uh, go f and, you know, I'd like to grow this into a, a more, um, you know, robust network. But that would take you know, hiring staff and, 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 and doing some other things. So please go to my webpage, www.funkyacademic.com. So you need people who will work for you who will not actually sell you out too. Because remember, Bernie's problem was Simone Sanders. You remember Simone Sanders. She now is uh, Biden's, Biden's press person. But before that, in 2016, she was Bernie's press person. I remember Simone Sanders because every time she was on TV, um... Uh, uh, being Bernie's press person in 2016, she sounded like she was auditioning for a job to be Biden's press person in 2020. Right? She was uh, very conciliatory to the other side, let me just say. So I, uh, you're going to have to find campaign people who will help you who aren't going to sell you out. And that's not a lot of democratic operatives. Right? So you need someone with some sort of knowledge of how political campaigns work who is not going to uh, sell you out in a pinch, right? And you could say, well, you know, start small and small races. The problem with small, starting small and small races is it's, they're different, right? So 
going from county commissioner to state rep to congressperson, those are all different jobs. Like black people, we have federal problems. We don't have problems actually that can be uh, solved by a black mayor. There are black mayors all over the South, and some of them are actually good. This guy, uh, Woodfin, I want to say, uh, give me the YouTube, tell me what, uh, Woodfin, and the guy Lumumba, and I know Lumumba and Jackson is fantastic, um, but the problem is you're a little black mayor in a small black town, because those are the only ones who elect black male mayors, um, you're a little black man in a small black town and your state governments, your state government is, um, you know, run by the Klan, right? Someone just said my gain's too high, so I, I turned that down. Your state government's run, run by the Klan. So you're a little black man, a little black town. You have to every now and then run to the Klan to uh to get money for your little black town so randall woodfin yeah right so randall woodfin he's a he's a black mayor but he didn't have real power now Maynard jackson was a black mayor in a real black town in atlanta and he actually that was a little bit different because one it was also the seat of the state two you know he had the olympics to play with and he was like i'm not doing nothing um, about the Olympics, unless you can give me, you can guarantee me like 30% of these contracts are going to black people, right? So he actually had the muscle to muscle the state and took the chance, right? If you're a small black mayor of a small black town, then like, like your tax base is broke and, and that's, and you're just, and you're, you're toast, you're toast. And so you have to go to like the Klan governments at state legislatures because statewide power for black people is pretty much nowhere, um, is, 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 is nothing, nothing. Right? So even if you're a black man of a black town, you have to go to the state for money and you don't have any juice and the, the state legislature is Klan. That's, that's what you got. Right? And this is even for Virginia. Like people assume that Virginia is this great place. Virginia's got the a lot of black people in Virginia, slave state, got a democratic governor. Still black people aren't doing very well in Virginia. So if black people can't do very well in Virginia, you might as well just kind of <laughs> I don't know. Like you you got even a black state legislature. Uh, I think both chambers in Virginia are Democrats. And, and black people still aren't doing well in Virginia, which means that like, it's like you need, we have federal problems and we need Congress. And all getting elected to at the state level is gonna teach you is that we have federal problems and we need a Congress that actually is serious about securing uh, black people justice. Yeah, and most of those states have Republican legislatures, but Virginia has a Democratic one. Still not good for black people though. Like black people in Richmond, I was in Richmond, a lot of poor black people in Richmond, a lot of old white money, a lot of poor black people. I could say the same thing about Athens, Georgia, <laughs> right? So, um, yeah, someone in chat is mentioning, uh, Steve Benjamin, uh, in South Carolina supported Mike Bloomberg. And I can tell you, you can run a list of all of the black politicians who supported Mike Bloomberg. And those are black politicians who have nothing in their tax base. So they need Bloomberg money. They need Bloomberg's money. You're pretty much sucking 
the teat of Bloomberg. And that's not self, that's not self-determination. Um, I don't know what to do. I like, I like, I, so we need to start thinking about building a communications infrastructure. You need to start building a communications infrastructure that's external to black traditional institutions like churches. Cause they're not going to come around until you can, um, prove that you can beat white people. So you can beat white people and then live the next day, which is why I talk the way I do. Um, because like people need to see black people talk the way I do. And they need to see black people who talk about white people the way I do. And they need to beat them. Not with a bat. Do not, I mean, beat them electorally and take over their family culture and churches and schools. We need to take over all public, ins all public institutions that we happen to share with white people need to be black run. Um, so like, if you want to integrate a church, that's fine. I want black people running it from the board level down. If you want to integrate a school, that's fine. I need black people running it from the school board level down. <laughs> I want black people writing the textbooks. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so like all of these cultural institutions that we share with, with, with white people, black people need to be running it. Or yeah, or white people that I've trained. So, um, but there are barriers. And so we need to talk about eliminating these barriers and changing the class profile of Congress. Because that's where this, that's, that's, what, that's what this comes down to. Changing the class profile of Congress so they care about, like black people, we work for a living. So they care about the issues of working class and, and, and poor people all over the United States. And especially the black working class and the black poor people. Not the ones who aspire to be Spelman grads. No, like everybody else. I'm not one of those guys who thinks, I like, I have, I don't have the greatest things to say about uh, HBCUs. I will say, oh, look, I'm going to say something nice about HC, HBCUs, and I'm going to say something not nice about HBCUs. HBCUs produce a disproportionate amount of black professionals, which means like accountants, dentists, like, like some school teachers, HBCUs, produce a disproportionate amount of them, and for that we should be grateful. But it's only because white people have no fear of a revolutionary black dentist. They have no fear of a revolutionary black, count, um, um, uh, black accountant. Even, maybe even a computer science program, but they don't really fear them. What they fear is a revolutionary black political leader. So the black political leaders they do produce are not revolutionary, right? HBCUs will, I mean, like the list of people who've been fired from HBCUs, every now and then a black revolutionary kind of sneaks by and then I feel like the HBCU might get shut down or lose all of its funding. But um, the list of black people who've been fired from HBCUs, I mean, W.E.B. Du Bois, one of the greatest American minds the, uh, the United States has produced like not just black Americans, one of the greatest American minds the United States has been, has produced fired from Clark Atlanta university uh, for like suggesting that the white donor class might not actually um, WB Du Bois is who I'm talking about. May not actually have Negro self-determination in mind. Right. <laughs> So HBCUs do like like they got rid of him 
because he was actually serious about black people being free and what it, what it would take. Right. So who else in HBC? I mean, Howard Zinn, one of the like best working class histories of the uh, historians of the entire 20th century, got fired for Spellman for radicalizing too many black women. I think Alice Walker was one in one of his classes and then came out with ideas. And so they fired Howard Zinn because he was like he was serious about like, look, black people, you need to organize. Um, but, <laughs> and this is how and like Spellman got rid of him. And the list of people who've been who've been let go. Um, for making white people nervous from black uh, HBCUs is, is not negligible, right? And the list of graduates who have gone on, HBCU graduates who've gone on and been pretty crappy uh, political leaders and honestly pastors is also not negligible, right? So they're very good at producing dentists and professionals, uh, professional occupations where you can be excellent without threatening white power. <laughs> and very bad at producing black leaders who in occupations where part of the occupation is threatening white power. <laughs> so if you want to produce like an accountant or a dentist, send them to an HBCU. If you want to produce a black revolutionary, I don't know. You could send them to your HBCU at your own peril. I just don't think the revolution will be led by a noob. I said what I said. Um, or any member of the divine nine. And I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, I mean, it's good for like mid-level management for white supremacy, <laughs> mid-level white supremacist management and maybe some symbolic stuff, but not actually for the revolutionary politics we need. I say that. And you know what? You know who I'd like to talk about that? Uh, a vet, a vet. Some of you guys know, you know, good terms with a vet. But a vet went to Howard. But I wonder what she what she would say about HBC, like HBCUs, what HBCUs produced. Um, because like I feel like Howard might want to take her degree back <laughs> because of too much trouble out there. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Uh, yeah, AC, HC, because like they, they don't want Howard. They want guys like, uh, I mean, they don't want, Howard doesn't want to produce Yvette. They want to produce cats like uh, the former mayor of Atlanta. Gosh, what's his name? You know, the big brother. Uh, mayor of Atlanta. Mayor of Atlanta. How did I forget his name? You know exactly who I'm talking about. Kasim Reed. They wanna they wanna produce Kasim Reed. <laughs> um yeah. <laughs> they want and and, and and so they put they produce Kasim Reed like a factory, and then every now and then an event will come out and they'll get pissed. <laughs> they they have to go and retool the machine. Um uh yeah someone said miss wilch will say i uh, said my school was a respectability it was about respectability decorum that's not gonna lead to black freedom respectability and decorum will not lead to black freedom it may like lead to like uh mid to high five-figure salary a low six-figure salary in a respectable neighborhood um but it's not going to le lead to like black community-wide liberation and self-determination. 
Uh, and unless we're honest about that, then and honest about the aspirations of the parents who send themselves to set who send their kids to those schools, uh, then we're not going to actually be free. Yeah, someone said we need two events for every Kamala produced. That's the truth. That's the truth. You need to produce black uh, historically black colleges and university should, um, like think of event as the like the ideal product and every in Kasim Reed and Kamala to be like the mistakes that you need to correct against. Someone said Dr. Randall Short was fired from um, uh, HBCUs from the HBCU and you know, uh, from Howard actually. And you know, Dr. Bobby Wright, who I'm, I adore. And I think uh, I have a show on here. You can search on my YouTube channel. Um, that is a tribute to Dr. Bobby Wright. Dr. Bobby Wright said, if he ever taught at an HBCU, um, Dr. Bright, he was born in Alabama and spent a lot of time in, in Chicago. He said, if he ever taught about HBCU, he would have to send half the students home first day. Second day, he'd have to send half the black faculty home. And he's like, well, I know who it was and you know too. And he said, the third day, he'd have to spend all of the black administrators home. All of them. You got to go. You got to go. And that would be, that would be, um, that would kind of be my tack too. I would have to like, I don't know how well I get along with my colleagues. I get along fine. I know. I don't know. I'd make the administrators very nervous. Um, so, but if I brought in my people, then we could actually train the quality of black people that would actually, uh, that would, that would actually, you know, I think, articulate the struggle. Because here, you know, running for office isn't just about winning the office. It's also about clarifying the fight. The politician has two jobs. Push for policy, clarify the fight. If people are confused about what the fight is after your campaign, you haven't done it. You haven't, you haven't done your job. And this is my problem with Warnock. Nobody knows what he's for. Nobody knows what he's against. Um, and you think that's going to be different in, in, if he's elected, I don't know what to tell you. It's also kind of my problem with Stacey Abrams. Stacey Abrams, she's so smart, right? So like, I have a hard time saying bad things about her. She's so smart, but like, it's not an accident that nobody really knows what she's for or what she's against, except black people voting, preferably for her. <laughs> but, the, but you have two jobs as a black candidate. One, push push the policy um, and get the policy uh, realized. Second, clarify the fight so people know exactly what the fight is. And the fight isn't just merely voting. Make no mistake, the fight's reparations, the fight's a federal job guarantee. Uh, someone says Abrams clarifies political things very well. I don't know if I agree with that. I think she's scared of alienating white people. And insofar as she's scared of alienating white people, actually muddies the, the, muddies the water. Um, but she's also very smart. And if she runs for governor or when she runs for governor of Georgia, uh, I will vote for her most like probably because it'll be easier to organize. I don't think she's actively going to try to um, tamp down the left uh, or the radicals. And someone, so why do we need white fear? Because that's where the money is. Someone asked, uh, Bosky 876 says, why do we need white fear? Because that's where the money is. That's, 
That's where the money is. Same reason Willie Sutton robbed banks, because that's where the money is, right? So people are scared of losing their job. They're not even be scared of losing their clan. They're scared of losing their check. Uh, um, so so that's, that's going to be a problem. Uh, you just have to run through it. Tell truth. Tell, you, you gotta be, you gotta run through it. Yeah, Stacey Abrams is a careerist. I, I did a show about this two shows ago. That, that, that Stacey Abrams is a careerist, but here's the deal. It's, it's a very, she's a very complicated careerist because she wants to be the governor of Georgia and possibly the president of the United States. And the only way that she becomes the, the governor of Georgia is if a lot of black people get, the, like, actually realize their right to vote. So her career aspirations and, like, black self-determination, like, kind of a coextensive a little bit <laughs> right so she's doing the work of getting black people voting so that they could elect her governor so it just so happens to be that what's good for stacy abrams personally is good for us collectively now when that when that splits we might be in problem we might we might have a problem but it just so happens to be that right now, what's good for Stacey Abrams personally is good for all of us. Um, and, you know, when it stops being good for all of us, we got to get off that train. But right now, she wants black people to vote and be empowered in Georgia. And I want black people to vote and be empowered in Georgia. Um, although voting is not necessarily power. Uh, and then, and so like her goals and my goals are simpatico. Um, and so she's, uh, so, so like her naked ambition is, is good in the same way that like, <laughs> you could, I, and before I, 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 I compared her to like Napoleon who like, you know, redid Europe. Someone says, stop going on crystal ball show. She's a racist. Yeah. So Crystal Ball and I don't agree on everything, right? So, yeah, she doesn't get race stuff very well. But she takes a lot of crap. Like, I go on the show and I don't get censored. And I've only been, there's only one segment that I've been on there that, that they didn't air. And that's actually, um, I, I, I consider how relatively provocative I am. I actually consider that, like, not so bad. There's only one segment that they didn't hear. It was after John Lewis died and I went and trashed John Lewis because I think he was um, uh, working for the Clintons <laughs> for the last, you know, 20 years. And before that, like John Lewis was a Negro you got because you couldn't handle uh, Julian Bond. And, and so, like, I, 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 I think John Lewis spent a lot of time in Negro management. And what he did was actually... Uh, identify himself with the struggle and then sell the struggle to um, white liberals for the low, low price of reelecting John Lewis. So I said that like the day after he died and they didn't air the segment, although I was right. And I think they should have aired the segment. It is what it is. Um, but the next time I'm on rising and I think I'll probably go on a few, uh, they'll probably let me back on in a few weeks. I'm going to open it up. Um, <laughs> I'm going to open it up with Thank you, people, for coming on to my show. This will be an interesting, interesting next 10 minutes <laughs> because, like, I think their audience need to see, you know, black people actually, like, take up space. Um, so, 
Uh, Crystal took a chance on me and, and continues to take chances. She gets a lot of heat because I'm not a big feminist and I, I you know, and, and I'm not a, you know, I'm a quasi Democrat and, and I'm very black. So she takes a lot of heat for every time I come on. And yet like she keeps inviting me on. So also, if you want me to go on, you should probably send her an email or, uh, or Twitter her that I should come on to that always opens things up. But, uh, she, she screwed up on affirmative action, but she lets me on. She doesn't have to. Her life would probably be easier if I didn't go on. So, um, I, Crystal, there are problems in the world. Crystal Ball is not one of them. She's just not right on everything. Um, I forgive her. We rec- like, we're like, yeah. If white women were like Crystal Ball, the entire United States would be in a much better place. Problem is they're not. And I think she knows that. So, um, so, and you know, she's another one you could talk to about barriers for running for office. She's one of those people that Emily's list tried to, to shake down when she tried to run, um, for Congress and, and that's not, uh, and, and so she has a lot of problems with the way that like we, we have a barrier for working class people actually making it to Congress and having the our representatives actually reflect us and not just, um, and not just having our, rec- our representatives reflect us and not just, um, like skin tone, but actually reflect our, our class sensibilities and our plight and legacy and struggle. So those kind of people should be in Congress. And those kind of people need to be making those kinds of arguments on their way to Congress. Because this idea that you can kind of sneak attack. Yeah, go ahead and email Joe Rogan about getting me on. Man, if I was on Joe Rogan, I, ah, that would be fantastic. So yeah, go ahead and email Joe Rogan about getting me on. All the people, just... Email Joe Rogan, say, you should get on IME. You should get IME on. That would be fantastic. Um, so you have to, this idea that you can kind of sneak attack your way into Congress, and then once you're in the Congress, become radical, is, I think, uh, I think foolish, and it confuses the electorate. And I, you, black people, we need to be black all the time and not confuse the electorate. We need to clarify the electorate. And that is, uh, and the campaigns can be used to clarify the struggle for the electorate, even if you don't win. And if enough people are out there making enough of the right arguments um, and clarifying the struggle, then we could actually build the momentum to normalize just kind of whatever I say on Friday evening or Friday afternoon. And so it's just regular political discourse. So, you know, sometime in the next 10 years, I'm sure I'll run for Congress and you'll all be there supporting me. Thank you. And you can say, I knew him when, and I'm going to talk a lot like this. Arguments might be a little bit crisper, but I'm going to talk a lot like this. Um, so, and I think that's going to be good for the, good for the, the national dialogue. So, uh, thank you for your time. And if you have any questions, I will talk to you next week. Peace. And go to www.funkyacademic.com and kick in five, fifteen, or fifty dollars a month, or make one enormous donations. I like the monthlies because it allows me to budget more, and that'll help me, you know, with a marketing budget or getting better equipment that works all the time. Because a lot of 
In a lot of ways, freedom means having equipment that works every time you turn it on. <laughs> and I want to be a free Negro. So um, if you like what I do, go to funkyacademic.com and contribute. Thanks often comes in the form of cash. And the site takes credit cards. If you appreciate the work I do every week and you think that I should continue to do it because I'm giving you the quality of political knowledge and insight that will help you not squander your life and kind of rescue meaning from it, then go ahead 